You're listening to The Profile. Hello and welcome to The Profile podcast. I'm Andy Peck. For the past 17 years, I've been interviewing leaders in the church and the wider culture. In the coming weeks, you'll be hearing the best of these conversations, plus some brand new ones as well. It was leadership expert John Maxwell who famously said, leadership is influence. Some have massive influence through their role as a leader of a church or business, a charity or a family. Others have influence in their neighbourhood, a network of friends or through leisure interests. It's our prayer that these conversations will help you in whatever spheres you have influence. This show is brought to you by Premier Christianity magazine, the UK's leading Christian magazine. Get full online access and the print magazine every month by becoming a subscriber. See special offers available now at premierchristianity.com. It used to be the case that the only platform that a Christian leader would be on was a physical one made of wood in a church building or a tent crusade. But in this digital age, there is another platform available. Church leaders have found that an attractive website, targeted use of social media and marketing approaches provide a digital platform that enables the promotion of their work and in some cases enables them to sell products. One man who has questioned the value of this approach is William Wade. He's written an article for Premier Christianity magazine entitled Why Christian Leaders Should Stop Building Their Platform. In the article, he suggests that this is not the way of Jesus and can be harmful to the leader and those who they serve. William is the senior pastor of Life Church in the village of Cuffley in Hertfordshire. He and his wife Tulsi and two teenage daughters joined in 2019. They've served God as missionaries to British forces in Germany and England for 14 years and have also served in leading international churches in Germany and the Netherlands before being called to Life Church. So welcome William to the Leadership Show. Thank you, it's good to be here. So a little of your own story, perhaps, before we look at the question of building a platform. Uh, what was your journey into Christian leadership? You grew up in Belfast, young. I did, yeah. And uh, I grew up in a fairly troubled family and got into what was Northern Ireland politics at the time. But as a later teenager, uh, two 15-year-old girls get crashed the party I was having, told us about Jesus. And three weeks later, four of us committed our lives to Jesus. So it radically changed our lives. And then fairly shortly after that, I joined the army. And as soon as you join the army, you are on a leadership ladder. So you're going from a private to a grade three, grade two, grade one private. Then you start getting stripes, lance corporal, corporal sergeant. And the army is very good at getting you on that leadership ladder. So I, I was involved in lots of courses and was able to be a leader at a low level and then make my way up to a corporal level. And so there was already some form of leadership there. And then, yeah, I became a missionary with the organization Satra, which uh, trained you fairly well. They give you six months on the job training uh, because they send you into a leadership role. And as you said, we were in Germany and we served with the Paris in England as well. And that was uh, then a transition into church leadership. And I, on the way, I learned from lots of other older leaders of how to do things, sometimes how not to do things, as everyone does. And now I'm in a, a church leadership scenario myself. Brilliant. Uh, and I, will, I know that what SASWA stands for, but you just need to remind some who are listening, SASWA, Scripture, 
Yeah, it's Soldiers and Airmen's Scripture Readers Association. Okay, brilliant. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, serving Christians in the armed forces, obviously that is a a challenging role, I'm sure. Uh, what were the joys and challenges for you? I guess a joy for me was that uh, being with the army was being with my people. I know that we're called to everyone and we're called to minister to everyone, but I think realistically we have our people the ones that we like to minister to and the army they were my people and so there was a real joy in that and a military culture also breeds brutal honesty and so when you're talking to a soldier of whatever rank they're fairly robust characters and they'll tell you what they think and they'll tell you whether they agree with you or disagree with you which i think is a much better way of having conversations and at least it lets you know where you stand, especially when it comes to mission. And there's also an understanding of authority. Whenever I was placed into the role that I had as a missionary with Sazra, there was an equivalent rank of a sergeant major. And so you automatically had an ear, uh, which again could be helpful, perhaps not so helpful in other cases, but largely it was helpful. And so, yeah, there were joys in doing that role. Yeah, and I guess the, the concept of submission is a, is a very biblical and Christian one. And I guess some some pastors and leaders of local churches would be rather keener that my people might submit to their authority within a, a church role. It might make life a little easier, I guess. So it's a good it's a good uh, concept to be imparting. Yeah, no, it is. Although you can you can fall foul of the line on that one as well. Yeah, yeah. I you know, uh, thankfully, soldiers will tell you what they think. But sometimes in pastoral ministry, you know, you say something and people will agree with you simply because of the role that you have or the title that you have. And, and we've seen fairly recently where that has gone disastrously wrong. So it's, it's one to it's one to hold intention, I think. Indeed. Okay, fair enough. Um, and, and the joys and challenges of serving Christians in an international church? Yeah, there were real joys in that as well. Um, an international church by nature has a lot of diversity. So it has diversity of culture, diversity of language, diversity of theology, which can be a good thing. Uh, it also means that those who are typically in the churches that you're at, they're largely going to be cities. And for us, it was Dusseldorf and The Hague. And so they're fairly international cities. And people go there because they are probably good at their job, they're successful, and that translates into their church life as well. So when we had people that were on secondment for one, two, five years, they typically tended to come into the church, typically had some kind of gifts and character traits that would really lend themselves to leadership. And they, because they were only there on a certain amount of time, they would settle fairly quickly they would make friendships fairly quickly and they would commit very quickly and they would throw themselves into whatever role it was they had in the church uh, but there were challenges as well of course it's a transient community so you could have someone who comes in and they eventually become an elder in the church for instance and then six months later they could be called away and that that just changes the, the dynamic once again of leadership and uh, again even though diversity of theology is a real blessing, sometimes it can be a challenge as well because people come in from lots of different perspectives. And I've got to say as well, in my experience, in dealing with different cultures, 
they all have a different relationship to the minister and i'm going to be i'm going to be very um crude in this uh, and it's a lot more nuanced than this but what i found was that typically those who were british tended to see the minister on an equal level those who were north american or some parts of Asia and Africa tended to elevate the minister and had that kind of relationship. And those from Northwest Europe, Holland, Germany, um, Scandinavian countries tended to look down on the minister, that they had a greater voice in the minister. And again, that sometimes that was a, a real challenge too, but um, it's the rich tapestry of life. And it's something that we <laughs> as leaders have to walk with. No, that's, that's, I'm sure that's fair enough when you're, working with those different nationalities i'm sure you've you've offended everyone now william <laughs> <laughs> but um but uh we're we, you know uh, we, we take the point we take the point that's you know often these are the cases that that there is there are different levels that people perceive sadly um church leadership um so let's move on to uh to, to your article which, which i really enjoyed and i think made some some great points um and just to to, to frame it again um you know, you've observed that, you know, there are all kinds of leadership approaches and some people have become aware that if they combine ministry with business interests, they use website, social media, marketing tools, it gets the message out. Um, and they often argue that this is the promotion of kingdom values, of course. So they, you know, this is what they want to do. Um, but you've written this piece where you think actually this is unhelpful. So perhaps you could unpack your concerns with with some of these approaches, which we, of course, all observe and see if we're um, using social media or viewing websites at all. Yeah, sure. I think it can be really unhelpful. I'm sure we would all agree that there has been a creep, let me put it that way, of uh, celebrity culture just pervading the church. And the difficulty with that is, of course, it starts to become normal. And even though... Uh, there are other voices out there that would speak against that. And I know Premier has showcased a lot of articles that would really challenge that ideology. Uh, there is still a pervading thought out there that if you can be successful, glossy, and if you can get on the most well-known platforms, then you really are the apple of God's eye. And it's something that's been bubbling in me for a little while, just under the surface, that I wonder what Jesus would think of that kind of a culture, of that kind of a perception. I'm not saying that we should all come off social media, and I'm not saying that we should say what we're doing. I think it's when it gets to the stage where we somehow equate success in ministry with being at that conference or success in ministry with having a certain number of followers on our social media or equating success in ministry with having the kind of circle around us that are the Christian celebrities. Um, I think there's something gone amiss there. And I'm constantly reminded of the fact that, you know, when Jesus did some of his greatest miracles, he often said to those who were the recipients of those miracles, listen, don't go and tell everybody about this. And likewise, you know, very quickly, the masses were wanting to make Jesus the king, and he refused it. And often his words were quite challenging to the point where the multitudes would leave him. And he was left with a small group of his disciples. And 
the question was, are you going to leave me as well? Because it just seemed that he wasn't swayed by everyone else's opinion, what everyone else thought success was, what everyone else thought power and authority were. And it's whenever I see or when we see just blatant self-promotion that I think, oh, that's not going into the way Jesus would want us to go. Uh, I guess, for example, I saw just over the last number of days, um, Steve Campbell at C3 Church and these are C3 churches around uh, the UK did a promo video of what God had done in their churches over the last year. And all the way through, it's just promoting other people. It's just saying what God has done. It's talking about the number of people that God has blessed through what they're trying to do. At no point was it about Steve Campbell. At no point was it him saying, look how great I am. And and others do that. Others have the ability to promote others. And I think that's part of who we should be as kingdom people, that we cheer others on, that we celebrate others, that we um, suggest going to listen to others. But whenever we start doing that ourselves, that you've got to come to my preaching series, you've got to read my article, you've got to buy my book, you've got to come to this session that I'm doing. Here are 10 sessions I've done online. If you don't watch those, you're going to miss out. That kind of mentality. So I'm really not saying, listen, we, we can't say what we're doing. It's just when it gets into the area of the fingers pointing inward and us really blatantly promoting ourselves and sometimes you know sometimes if we're honest we do it under the guise of well it's to get people to pray for the event and you know that may be the case only god knows the intentions of people's hearts but uh, i think if we were brutally honest sometimes it's really not that and so i guess the article is just a pushback on some of that that's going on at the moment Sure, and I, th I think you're making good points, William. Obviously, I've got you on the on the show to to share that because it seems that the servant leadership of Jesus was certainly encouraging his his disciples, of course, to to promote him. You know, do not um, call you know let anyone call you father. Do not let anyone call you teacher. You know, because there's one father in heaven, that's God, and one one teacher, and that's me, kind of thing. So. Uh, we're we're all teachers in quotes under the the master teacher Jesus. So, I think you make a a, a great point, and um, the commercialization of the faith can be a, a dangerous uh, <laughs> kind of road to go down. It, it would seem. So, thank you, thank you for making making the point. Um, in terms of broad, more broadly, the kind of ministry principles you've sought to embody, um, William, in your in your in your work. Um, I, again, I'm not suggesting you put yourself on a pedestal because that would be daft. Um, but you know, what what are the sort of values that you're you're seeking to uh, generate and pray through? Yeah, I think ultimately it's got to be Jesus centered, um, and I know that's of course the textbook answer. But I think sometimes we can say that our ministry is Jesus centered, and then we start taking our cues of others that have done phenomenal things in the past and there are giants in the faith there's no question about that but jesus said follow me 
you know, we can take encouragements from others. We can take example from others, but we follow Jesus and how he went about doing his ministry. I think also in days like this, when we're so connected online, we can become so disconnected with people. Um, it's just a constant reminder that I have to give myself to keep ministry simple. You know, it's about the word, it's about prayer, and it's about people. And there are three priorities that I would place on my own life. You know, it's about making sure that they are the main thing and they remain the main thing. Um, I think also it's about being relational. So in the church here or in other places I've been, I've tried to walk with people rather than um, speak at people. And we've been able to model some of that here at the church where we do walk with each other and there's a, a sense of, and I've got to say this, Andy, when you were at the church here, that was really uh, something that sparked an ability to do that when you came and taught us about pastoral ministry. And a lot of people took up the reins on that. And it is a church that does look out for each other and will try to model being relational uh, right across the board, whether you're a ministry leader or whether you're someone that has only been coming to the church for a while. Um, I think it's being a good Baptist, I've got to say uh, ministry is collaborative because that's a big thing that we believe in. It's also joining in with others. It's making sure we listen to others. It's going as a team. And something, again, I'm going to say goes back to your visit here when you came. Uh, I remember you said something, and it was about maintaining a joy in ministry. And that is something that has become important to me because you cannot sustain ministry unless there's joy in ministry. And for me, uh, one of the joys is, and people are going to be different on this, for me, one of the joys is getting out on a trail run. So that's something that gives me joy and energy. But you said something very particular, and it stuck with me when you came and taught us about pastoral ministry. You said, if you can, if you know there's something in the diary, and it's going to be a difficult conversation, or you're taking, uh, for example, a meeting or a service that's going to take something out from you. And for me, typically that would be doing a funeral service. That tends to take energy from me. I remember you said a good practice to get into is immediately after that, block out some time in the diary where you can recharge again. Block out some time in the diary when you can go to a place or do something that gives you joy, that recharges your spiritual battery, that fills your soul. And honestly, I cannot tell you how practical and how helpful that has been. I had a, a funeral service yesterday and it was a tragic one, really. And I always come away feeling fairly drained, but I was able to put into practice and I've been doing that ever since your visit. So honestly, thank you for, for sharing that. And I guess that has become part of what I think is part of ministry as well. Well, that's that's good to hear, William. I'm, I'm sure I pinched it from someone else. So, <laughs> But thank you. I'm glad, glad that's been a principle that's, that's, that's really worked for you. Um, I, I read a piece um, that you'd written, I think, for the Baptist Union or Baptist Times, maybe, uh, about reaching uh, and, and working with white middle class people. And again, it's, it's awful to talk about class in the UK, but it, it does exist. I think we all know it exists. And there do seem to be stereotypically uh, a group of people that the church does not typically find it easy to, to reach. Uh, and, and white men, working class men, if I can use that language, 
is typically that that category. And you you uh, gave some very helpful principles in reaching that uh, those those folk. Yeah, that's true. And I think uh, as difficult as it is, because even when when I wrote the article, I thought you know someone maybe easily offended at this. You know, what about others that other people groups that perhaps aren't being reached? But I do think that. Um, there are housing estates, there are associations, there are places around the UK, and it just seems that the lost category is male. It is between the ages of 18 and around 50, and uh, it's working class, and there typically isn't a large gospel presence in those areas. Thankfully, we are seeing um, people start to move in on areas like that. I mean, again, I've got a do a shout out to someone like Car Beach and the Edge communities who has a real drive, just a real passion to reach areas like that. I think of Back Home and uh, Christian Fellowship Church in Belfast that's moving into areas like that. But it is few and far between. And I think one of the difficulties is fear and not knowing how to engage and relate with people like that. Um, but as I said in the article, my goodness, you know, everyone who's going to go into an area like that or reach out to men like that, everyone who is a Christian has a story of brokenness and sin that they've been forgiven from. It doesn't matter if they're coming from middle class, upper class. They've got a story that they can relate to anybody because we're all in the same boat um, when it comes to sin, when it comes to being forgiven. And likewise, there are other things that we can engage with. I think being incarnational, being able to join with them on their pursuits. Now, we need to be careful about that. Um, but there are things that we can do. We can learn what their talking points are. Their talking points are typically sport, a very particular kind of sport. So they're most likely not going to be talking about ice hockey or uh, about equestrian sports. Uh, they're going to be talking about football. They're going to be talking about boxing, about caged fighting, about you know how things are going in the Premier League and all of that. About who's winning the darts. And if if we can if we can somehow um, get alongside them, and I often think we we can't have access until we have involvement, and we can't speak from a distance. It's about joining their clubs. It's about going to the places where they're at. It's about being incarnational and not going in to necessarily preach at them, but going in to uh, be one of them and become one of them. And yet there's something different about us that's going to be very clear fairly, fairly soon. So, yeah, I think um, there's a big there's a big old mission field out there for anybody who feels the need to go outside of maybe the more leafy areas of the UK and into the more urbanized concrete areas and uh, these guys need Jesus and maybe part of it is, is to do with the fact that you know my story is like that two 15 year old girls get crash a party I had we were all drunk at the time and they told us about Jesus I mean what courage but I'm sure there are lots of people out there that have the same kind of courage or at least would pray for it and take a deep breath and say yes I'm going to jump into the fray and reach these people that's that's brilliant, uh, William. Uh, just as we uh, close our conversation, obviously we're we're still talking post COVID. Um, how's it been for Life Church in Cuffley um, post COVID? It's it's been really really good actually. Um, so shortly after I came here, we all went away on an away day as a leadership team. 
no agenda. We just prayed and said, God, what are you saying to us as a church? And we all jointly had a, a sense that God was calling us to be a hub for him in the community. That was the strap line. And so out of that, we were able to build a community cafe, which happened while COVID and the lockdowns were on. So in a sense, the timing of it worked out all right. So we built a cafe in the church building and we became community facing. And it was a little bit of a shift for the church, but it has dramatically changed our outlook on what church is, on what ministry is, on what reaching a community is. And I think for myself as well, because I saw others take a risk on me and release me into areas of serving God. Uh, we have a joint mentality here in the church of taking a risk with people, a uh, calculated risk, a prayerful risk, but also not holding the reins too tightly and letting others have a go, letting others have a chance at doing lots of different things in the church. And it's been wonderful to see that blossom. And I think one of the other really important things to us as a church is that collectively, because we have this strap line now of being a hub for God in the community, it feels like jointly we're on mission. It's not just that some people in the church are on mission or that we have a mission department or an evangelism department. It feels like we go as family. And, uh, you know, we did, some churches have a 10-point mission statement. We have one nine. And I think that's been really helpful just to say, in the church, we are a hub for God in this community and lots of other things are beginning to really spoke off that central idea. And so it's been really good. The church has grown uh, during COVID and after COVID and it's continuing to. And we're continuing to try to do everything we can to follow where we feel Jesus is leading and that is to reach this local community. Well, that's fantastic, William. Thank you so much for all you've shared uh, uh, with us and uh, let's continue to keep serving Jesus and uh, promoting him. Yes, I'll go for that. That was my conversation with William Wade, the senior pastor of Life Church Cuffley, a village in Hertfordshire. It may seem very basic to prioritise serving Jesus, but maybe we all need reminding of this from time to time when we're tempted to promote ourselves uh, and not him. It was James in the New Testament who, quoting Proverbs, reminds us that God opposes the proud and shows favour to the humble. James 4 verse 6. So if you don't want to be opposed by God, you'll be wise to heed that advice. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.